0: turn, if you will, to the 10th chapter of Luke. We will continue our our journey through this gospel, complete the story that we introduced last last week. Um, It may, may, what I tentatively at least, put a title to this lesson. It's heaven's building crescendo of joy. What we're going to see are three three vignettes of joy, three three explanations of joy, and they're all going to build. That's going to be uh, important to understand as we move through this 10th uh, chapter that picked it up where we did. If you remember last week, we saw one of the many unique uh, Aspects of the gospel of Luke, and that is this story of Jesus sending out uh, 72. That was the beginning of of chapter 10. In fact, the chapter begins after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, others meaning in addition to the disciples. Uh, The disciples, of course, have have been and will remain his focal uh, point because he's training them in this, this three years of ministry. Uh, he sent them out previously. We've already seen that. Uh, but this is a new group. This is a group uh, that's uh, strange. We don't know anything about them. They have remained anonymous throughout history. Uh, so we don't know the names of any of these 72. But he sends them out uh, on a short-term mission trip in Samaria. Now, that's we, it's important to know that he's in in this region of Samaria where uh, Jews and and Samaritans did not uh, get along at all. And that's an understatement. Uh, But he gives them great power, just as he did these disciples, sending them on a very similar mission with the power to heal where it was appropriate. And that was the key. What he really sent them to do was preach a, a um, a very clear cut gospel message. I referred to it last week as a watershed issue. Uh, That's what the gospel always is. It is a watershed. When the church begins to accommodate, uh, then the point of the gospel becomes blunted and it becomes no gospel at all. There can be no accommodation with the gospel. We love people with it. We don't beat people with it. Uh, That is equally important to understand but we do not alter it uh, from uh, the validity given it in scripture. Well, these 72 are sent out with that uh, watershed issue and Jesus is very clear with them. Go into a town, go into a village. He sends them out two by two. Uh, What would that be? 36 uh, groups of of, of pairs that are going into into different places in Samaria. Uh, And he tells them, go into the first house you see and, and sense from that what reception you get, whether they want to throw you out. And many of them were. Uh, or whether they uh, want to hear the gospel. If they want to hear the gospel, then you're free to heal the people in that in that region, in that village, wherever they are, in that household. Uh, that's where we left them last time. We, we, uh, we left them with this notion of, uh, of having a very important mission. Today, we're going to see what happens to these 72 uh, people. Now, before that, I want to underscore the fact that this is going on all the time. This is what we do on Wednesday nights in particular when we focus on a mission agency or a mission couple or a mission individual, whomever it might be that this church supports. That's We still do that. It's still uh, the role of the church to send uh, those out uh, who are going to be taking the gospel uh, to places perhaps who've never heard it before. I mentioned very briefly last week about um, the country of South Korea, so unique in Presbyterian reform circles, uh, and the mission agencies, uh, missionaries in particular, who went first, all of whom were, were killed, uh, but the second wave uh, made it in and found churches in their wake. I mentioned the African, early on when the missions uh Agencies were going to Africa. They packed their belongings in coffins because they did not expect, nor did they intend to come back alive. I want to tell you about another uh, agents uh, that went out in basically 1994 is when this happened. And it came from a group called the China Gospel Fellowship, sometimes known as the Tang. Um, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but that's um, what it appears to be. Uh, It came from a large network of Chinese house churches. And this group in in 1994, uh, they wanted to send out 70 people for a mission trip. They patterned it on this passage we see here in Luke. Most of these house church folks in China uh, live in poverty. uh, So they were trying to raise funds to send these people out. When they got what they considered a sufficient uh, undergirding for, uh, to do this financially. They held a worship service and they commissioned 70 evangelicals, sent them out two by two throughout the provinces to the west, the western uh, side of, of China. Uh, far provinces is what it was called. I'm, I'm getting all this from a book. There's a book came out in 2003 by a man named David Aikman called Jesus in Beijing how Christianity is transforming China and changing the global balance of power. We're now 20 years later from that book and it looks like uh, a very different story today. But my point is the gospel is the only thing that remains. So you don't ever wanna go by by the news uh, or, or what things look like. What is going to finally carry the field is the church of Jesus Christ. And it does so by this kind of effort. Uh, these 70 were sent out. Some of them, apparently, all of them were single. Some of them still in their late teens. They only had enough money to give them a one-way trip. And they said, look, if you're not successful, then wherever you go won't have the money to send you to get back here. So, uh, Godspeed. And that's, uh, that's what happened. They, they just like Reading through the first part of Luke 10, you wonder what's going to happen to these 72. Well, they wondered and six months later, every single one of them returned home safely and they had established new churches in 22 of China's 30 provinces, according to David Aikman. One leader described it this way, quote, it was a testimony meeting. We've given the missionaries one-way tickets. We told them you can't fail. If you're not successful in planning churches, nobody will give you money to come back. When we heard their testimonies, everybody was crying. They wore out their shoes. They were rejected by people. They lived in ditches and in forests. Some of them lived with pigs. In the meeting, God showed his love to us. We were joyful because they had all come back alive. That's that emphasis on joy again. Now, there's a difference in usually when humans, especially Christian humans, speak of joy. It has a vertical perspective to it, if not entirely Uh, When we speak of happiness, that tends to be a horizontal uh, conversation. Uh, But uh, these people say that uh, they were joyful when these 70 uh, came back. And indeed, uh, the Lord blessed in 22 of those 30 provinces. Well, let's see what happens uh, here in Luke. We're going to get the first of the three joys that I mentioned. And and, in verses 17 through the first part of verse 20 because these 72 are going to experience the same thing. Let's read uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, verse 19, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Let's pause right there. Initially, this is the first of, of these great uh, joys that we're going to look at. And this one is the great joy of God's victory over Satan. Uh, it says in 17, again, the they return with joy. You can imagine... Uh, how it must have been because they're split up in groups of two, but there, haven't been any, there hasn't been any interaction. They don't have cell phones and all those kinds of things. So when they, get all, when they all get back together, they're, they're uh, probably chattering uh, pretty excitedly and, and they've got wonderful news. I'm sure some of them did not, but for the most part, they're very, very joyful. They're celebrating and they're celebrating what God has done. Again, joy when you see joy, especially biblically when you see joy it's it's uh, invariably something that God has done the The odd part of this is verse eighteen verse eighteen uh, says, and he said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven what is it, what is that about what uh, it, it could go in a number of ways <clears throat> Perhaps he's referencing, uh, seeing Satan fall from heaven way, way back in the Genesis account. Perhaps he's looking forward, knowing that Jesus, of course, knows what's going to happen to him. He's headed toward Jerusalem. We've already seen that at the 51st verse of chapter nine. Jesus knows he's headed to Jerusalem to go to a cross. He knows what redemption is going to cost. He knows what uh, the plan of the, of the, triune God is of the Trinity. He knows what his part is to play. Perhaps this is sort of a tangential remark of what is going to be accomplished on the cross that that he's talking about. It goes all the way back. I want to read a couple of of verses uh, for you. It goes, as, as you well know, it goes all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis, when Adam and Eve have sinned and God is, is talking to them and the, the result of their choice of listening to Satan rather than to God. In chapter three of Genesis, verse 15, he says, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's, he's talking to Satan here. Uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's a, a sort of enigmatic statement, uh, but it's, uh, as as you know, it's called the proto-euangelion. It's, all the, it's the first uh, evangelistic statement in all of scripture that looks all the way down the corridors of history to the cross of Jesus Christ and the, the uh, defeat of Satan uh, through the redemption that Jesus claims. Now, when you get to the New Testament, uh, interesting passages here allude to this also. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 uh, Corinthians 15 verse uh, 54 to 57 say, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, uh where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's famous statement there uh, virtually at the end of that very important 15th chapter of First Corinthians in the book of Colossians, uh, they pick up, uh, Paul picks up on this, <clears throat> this notion, Colossians chapter two, verse 15, another famous verse of scripture. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Talking about again, the cross, the victory of the cross. All of these things uh, going on as, as Jesus is talking to these uh, 72 men who have gone out uh, from him. <clears throat> Just a couple more. First John chapter three, verse eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That was the word practice. Who makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And then finally, I'll go to the book of Revelation in chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 say this. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. That's a reference in the 12th chapter of Revelation. Uh, We could uh, go to the the end of Revelation, see more, but this is, all of these things are packed into this enigmatic 18th verse of Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends the, the 72 out. They come back, they report to him. They're joyful because of what they have seen, the miracles they have seen, the power that they have enjoyed utilizing. And Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then he gives them this 19th verse, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. By the way, there are still people today who read that verse and bring snakes into churches. uh, Literal, we'll get to that later. (laughs) If you bring snakes into the chapel, however, uh, we will try to get them outside where they belong as quickly as possible. Uh, the 19th verse, uh, the power of Jesus has come to his children, come to you and to me. But then look at the beginning of verse 20. He says this, nevertheless, Jesus talking to the 72, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Now let's just stop right there. He puts this caveat in there. Uh, He's not trying to throw a wet blanket over what they've experienced and what they've seen. What he's going to lead them to is there's something of even greater joy. They have seen uh, and experienced and participated in the miraculous. God, uh, Jesus gave them this power to do this and they have utilized it. Uh, But he says uh, there's a a caveat. Uh, There's an even greater joy out there. Uh, So, the second joy is the ending of that 20th verse. It's just not even half a verse. Here's the next joy. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying is don't get caught up uh, in the accomplishments and in the um, all of the human factors that can be involved in ministry uh, i <clears throat> I spent uh, many a couple of decades actually uh, leading a, a development team at a seminary and uh, it was considered the the thing to do, to go to development seminars. There were many development seminars around the country. And I went to some of them until I became so sickened by the experience that I stopped going to them because they were all, every single one of them fell into the same camp, which was, here's how you take advantage of people. Uh, Here's how you delude delude them. Here's how you, you trick them into doing this out of the other. Uh, and this was, co- frankly, coming from some uh, agencies that were purportedly Christian uh, agencies. But but the point was, people. Some people would get hung up on on the big donor. Uh, I I remember going once uh, to a, a very uh, narrowly defined uh, conference at uh, at an Ivy League university, which uh, I won't name. Uh, that was totally focused on uh, large scale donors. Now this Ivy league, because they, they didn't even bother with anybody who couldn't give less than $5 million gifts. Uh, Westminster seminary where I worked a $500 gift would, would send me to my knees and, uh, and uh, prone on the ground in thanks thankfulness. Uh, and that's a good thing. I don't, don't, don't that doesn't bother me a bit, but what's, what was so stunning was this presentation of the and this was this was like uh, 1990 or so uh, but even back then, the technology allowed them legally to learn so much about people, and they showed us all the the different programs and, and such that, that enable you to find out who was on a board of trustees if you're on a public uh, corporate board of trustees, then you're a financial data is accessible, you therefore learn how much uh, they are potentially uh, could give and, and when they get paid and all this. It, it was nauseating, frankly, uh, and I was more than happy to leave that particular place. But, but that's, that's how man thinks. Uh, it's the big donors. Uh, we're going to get to a place in Luke. I don't remember what it is, but uh, Phil Riken writes about it in his commentary on Luke, uh, that we we all experienced together when when uh, one day at Westminster someone drove up in a limousine, and uh, that's an unusual event at Westminster <coughs> Seminary. And it, uh, an attorney got out and said, "My my client has died and, and left the seminary everything in her uh, possession." And it was like antique roadshow. Everybody's Ooh. <coughs> well. It turned out to be one dime and two pennies. 12 cents. Uh, This was a woman that I'd never heard of. I'd been running the development program. She lived within about four blocks of the seminary. Nobody at the seminary ever heard of her. We never, as far as we knew, she'd never been on campus. Uh, But this woman prayed for Westminster Seminary every day of her life. I mounted that 12 cents and put it in the lobby of Westminster Seminary because that 12 cents meant more than all those Ivy League people chasing those millions. Do you need large donors? Yes, you do. I have, the, the Lord has been gracious to people, but the point is don't get lost in, in the pomp and circumstance of this earth, because this earth, as we read from those previous uh, passages, this earth is going to fall away. The only thing that, that survives the flames uh, is the truth of the gospel and, and those who give their hearts to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what, what's pushing this second part of verse 20. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is a higher joy, Jesus says. Yes, I'm glad that, that uh, I gave you the power to heal, and I'm sure it was exciting to see people healed, and um, glad the experience went well. But understand there's something higher than that, and that something is that your names are written uh, in the book of, of life as it's sometimes described. I've got another uh, a multiple uh, host. Of, for anyone who keeps notes, I'll just tell them. I won't turn there. Uh, Exodus 32, 32, interesting passage. That's where Moses, uh, God is, is uh, Moses has been up on the mountain and gets the 10 commandments. He comes down and the Israelites have, have built a calf, a golden calf. And God says, I think I'm just gonna wipe them all out. And Moses says, you can't do that. For one thing, you'll have to go against your own word if you do that, but but if you really wanna do that, then take my name out of the book, wipe me out, let me stand between your anger and the Israelites. That's what Moses is referencing there is this notion of a book of life. Uh, Daniel 12, verse one, Philippians four, verse three, Hebrews 12, verse 23. Revelation chapter 13, verse eight, and chapter 20, uh, verse 12. All of those are references to this book, uh, to the names being written uh, in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what does it mean? I'm drawing again from Phil Riken. Uh, What what does this mean? Well, it means that the high King of heaven knows and remembers that we belong to him. That's why this is a, a greater joy than anything that can happen on this earth. Uh, We're going to have joys on this earth. We're going to have great things happen. We're going to have tragedies on this earth. Uh, But the high king of heaven knows and remembers that you, if you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you belong to him. Here's another thing it means. It means that he is keeping an accurate record of our citizenship. Uh, You're not going to get lost. You're not going to lose your citizenship. It isn't going to get revoked. Uh, Thirdly, it means that we have a right to all the privileges of heaven, even before we get there. Um, Love to expound on that a bit, but as you know, there are many, many things uh, that the Christian has uh, on this earth. We don't have, it doesn't wait until we get to heaven. It also means that we have God's guarantee of eternal life. That is why this joy is so much, uh, it so exceeds anything that's going to happen uh, here on, on this earth. Now, how can we be certain that our name, this is the critical question. How, how can you know that your name is written in that book, never to be erased? Well, by believing in, in Christ as he is presented in the gospel, that leads us to faith. I want to give you another uh, lengthy passage that, uh, that we won't look at, but, but over and over again, we've talked about faith using the word cat, K-A-T. The K is knowledge, I've got to have knowledge of something. If I'm gonna have faith in something, I have to learn about it, I have to to know that it exists. Scriptures, the church, friends, uh, various people have have informed us about this thing we call Christianity, this person, Jesus Christ, this God man, uh, and what he did on the cross. I've gotta have that knowledge. The A of cat is assent, I've got to have that knowledge Churn uh, it in my head, turn it in my soul, and come out to an agreement, an assent. Yes, I hear what you say about Jesus, and I want to embrace that. I agree with it. I'm going to go in this. I'm going to let this be my worldview and not the competing worldviews of Satan. You remember back in the garden again? Satan comes to Adam and Eve, and they say, Well, God says we can't eat of, of that fruit right. And if I come up, Let me give you, the fruit is great. God just doesn't want you to be God like he is. So trust me, make me your worldview, not God. Uh, That is the uh, source and uh, fountain of every illicit worldview. And that ends in hell. But the one that ends in heaven is believing in Jesus Christ as he is presented in the gospel. But what is critically important is the T. If you just look at the K and the A, the knowledge of who Jesus is, yes, I know that's who he is. Satan knows much more about Jesus than you or I do. He knows about Jesus. He agrees that he knows the truth about Jesus. The T is what is very important in biblical faith. And that is putting my trust, putting my conviction, uh, acting on it. Now we are justified by faith and faith alone. Nothing I do. That's a gift that comes from God. Nothing I do influences that. But we are saved by faith alone but not faith, which is alone. And again, I'll give you a passage, uh, that a book that uh, we don't look at much, called to my attention recently by a friend, Titus. Titus chapter two, verse 11, through chapter three, verse 11. That's a fairly large uh, portion of scripture, but it underscores how the person with biblical faith illustrates having trust in this great savior. That's how you know that your name is in the book of life. Now, why is this a greater joy than claiming God's uh, victory over Satan? Because eternal life assumes victory over Satan, plus many other blessings. The 72 came back and said, we were successful over Satan. And Jesus is saying, yes, but what about being successful over Satan in eternity? What about having forgiveness of your sins? Uh, What about having the blessedness of the church and the community and the foundation built around friends who will help you through this life and and so many other ways? Eternal life is more permanent, obviously. Uh, It's the deepest source of the believer's joy. So this second joy, even though it's a snippet of a verse, just the the latter portion of verse 20, uh, that's important, but it leads us to an even greater joy. And that comes uh, in verses 21 and 22. This is the third and greater joy. In that same hour, verse 21, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the father is, except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. What this is talking about is is an inter-Trinitarian joy. Uh, This is is talking about something that is these 72 and the the folks who were with Jesus got to uh, uh, perhaps see this firsthand. Uh, you and I see it through the reading of scripture and through the movement of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts. Uh, but Jesus here is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, this word rejoice, uh, verse 21, that same hour he rejoiced, this is a different Greek word. Uh, one might even say a very different Greek word than this, this, the two previous joys we've read about from Luke's pen within the last couple of, of verses and sentences. Uh, this this word for joy uh, frankly probably does not fit any human being ever uh, it is it is more intensive uh, it is an exuberant uh, Here's here's how uh, Greek scholars uh, define it exuberant ecstasy, complete exaltation in the fullness of joy why because this is the Godhead's joy this is the communion. Uh, this is when you remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and you could only imagine accepting this, uh, this mission to come down and achieve redemption for the children of, of uh, the saved, for the saved, for the elect, for his children. But to do that, he has to empty himself. You remember that that second chapter of Philippians, that, that poignant description of Paul talking about how Jesus has to empty himself. What is he emptying himself of? He's emptying himself of that incredible uh, exuberant ecstasy. That's a good two-word uh, description of what it was and is for Jesus and the Spirit and the Father to be one, the triune God in heaven from all eternity with this, this total perfection of communion with one another. This is the greatest joy uh, that Luke talks about here because it is Jesus's joy. It is a divine rejoicing. It is a perfect joy, unspoiled, undiminished. The joy at the heart of the Godhead and therefore indeed at the universe. That's that's exciting if you think about that. That joy, that that intertrinitarian joy is what you and I as believers will one day see face to face. When we pass this brief sojourn on earth and, uh, and enter the joy of heaven, this is, this is going to be there. Uh, one can only begin to imagine what it's going to mean. But it's the third joy and the greatest uh, joy. Now, Jesus' reasoning behind the joy is interesting. Number one, that the Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That 22nd verse, all all things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father, who the father is except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. But previous to that, he said, I rejoice that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but reveal them to little children. Now, what does he mean by that? What's the characteristic of little children? Openness. They're, they're, they're sponges. What's characteristic of the wise and understanding? They're shut down, arrogant, because they think they know it all. They think they have arrived already. They think they have figured out everything going on in this world. Uh, they are prideful. They are worldly. Uh, but Jesus says, I thank you, Father, that you reveal this, this um this joy to little children, those who are humble, those who are teachable. That's why the beginning of 1 Corinthians, almost, well, it is the full first chapter, uh, Paul goes into this uh, tirade about, you think you're wise, you think you're smart, you think you're a worldly philosopher, you think you, and and then strips it all down uh, to those who are teachable and humble. And the Father has given all of this to the Son And he and the Father and the Spirit know and rejoice in one another. Uh, Interesting passage I'll read very quickly from John chapter 10. Uh, It's the I am the good shepherd chapter, but in verse 25, Jesus answers, I told you and you did not believe. He's, he's talking about uh, to people uh, who think they know everything and they're not believing what Jesus speaks. He says, I told you, you, didn't, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. How did the wise of the world react to that statement? Next verse in John, chapter 10, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and they are going to eventually be allowed to be successful in killing Jesus, and they think, solving all of their problems when in point of fact uh, they made it all work. Uh, so he ends here the section that I want to conclude with today, verses 23 and 24, with uh, what is what you would assume would come from all of this, a joyful benediction. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, it's it's easy to read a passage like this and you think, wouldn't it have been great to be one of those 72 and, and to go out and, and to see all of this firsthand, to walk physically with Jesus, to be able to speak with him, to listen uh, to him, to his sermons, perhaps be able to, Uh, To have a little one-on-one with him, uh, maybe at some... Yes, it would have, but you know what's better? To have this full word. None of these folks had this word. None of these folks have as much information as you and I have. They don't know about the cross yet. They're going to find out about it and they're going to write about it and they're going to leave a legacy that you and I... These 12 were sent out swapping Judas for another one to complete the number. These 12 are gonna go out and do just what these 72 did, just what those 70 did in China, just what the people do that we support. Somebody, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a parent, somebody has gotten to each one of us in this room with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us faith to believe. Faith to know about this truth, to agree to it, and to want to act on it, so arguably, you and I have seen much more we 've seen the cross we 've seen the empty tomb we 've seen the ascension we 've seen Pentecost, and we know there's a return coming, which none of these seventy two knew uh, so you don 't need to worry about earning salvation, uh, getting caught up in in the the worldly chase. Uh, whether it's for money or for for all the other idols of this world, uh, sensuality, they are just many, many things. Uh, we simply come to the sun and believe and engage with that worldview, with that Christianity so that we start doing acts of mercy. We start uh, speaking this gospel because the truth is, you and I are part of the 72. You and I are sent out. Every time we have a conversation, it's another opportunity. And again, I'm not saying beat people with the gospel. I've known, I've seen that, that, that's, that's frankly demeaning to the gospel. Listen to people, get into their lives, get into their hearts, because if they're lost, you and I were once with them, learn about it and fit the gospel in and tell them about Jesus Christ because we are part of the 52 and we can bring them all three stages of this great joy of knowing that their name perhaps also will be written in the Lamb's book of life as is our own. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much. Uh, As you communicate this joy, you communicate this joy to us as well, Father. And we are humbled by it. Father, never, ever allow us to become prideful, uh, allow us to think we've arrived, Allow us, us to think that, that we don't need to repent of the, the grievous sins we all commit every single day of our lives. Father, forgive us and help us to grow, help us to mature in our faithfulness, help us to learn this word better, help us to put it into action, to put our full trust and conviction into what it means to being a a follower of Jesus Christ. And in that process, Father, through the ups, through the downs, through the pains, through the sufferings, through the happiness, help us to maintain the joy, the joy of knowing that we belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.